0: Welcome to the Discomfort by Design podcast, where we showcase people who chase discomfort, live life on the fringe, and pursue high adventure. We bring you the stories that inspire you to go find out. Now here's your host, Taylor Quick.
1: What's up, man? What's happening, dude? How are you been? How you been? Oh man, been good. Uh wrapped up turkey season. I know you're kind of doing the same yourself. Um getting getting school wrapped up and, and getting ready for summer workouts with our with our football team and all that stuff. So kind of uh-huh. kind of high gear right now, a little bit of a transitionary period for us, but
0: pretty yeah. good
1: on this end, man. How about
0: you? Uh dude, I tell you what, it's just been nonstop on the road. Um finally I'm actually gonna For the most part, I'm going to kind of be home for a couple of months, which works out really good because I can get back into my rhythm and start prepping for whitetail season.
1: Absolutely, man. You were burning it up on the roads for turkeys this year, man. How many did you end up with?
0: Uh, I ended up shooting two birds, um, started out in Iowa. I was supposed to go to Texas. Last minute, my buddy, him and his wife, they had their second baby. And, you know, we teased her. We were like, how rude, you know for you to have that baby right in the middle of turkey season. So, you know, so inconsiderate. Right. But um, so that messed up our turkey hunt. Um, So I ended up skipping that and I went back, I I just said, I went to Kentucky early and I didn't check the weather. I just jumped in the truck and went, you know, and I get down there and it's raining it's windy, you know, it's horrible. So I left, came back home. I went to Bahamas with Kobe folks from rise fishing company and, and his partner, Steve, and, uh, went and shot some content and fished a little bit in Bahamas for a week, came home, went back to Kentucky and then got on a bird there. Um, then just got back home two days ago and yeah, start editing everything up.
1: That's awesome, man. So for those of people who are listening, who don't know who John Mulligan is, also known as Johnny Utah. So, uh, man, give us your background, give us your story. I definitely want to get into all your hunting because I think it's yeah. fantastic. Um, so let's, let's do that though. Let's, let's get a background and a story about you, where yeah. you come from, who you are, all that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in central Kentucky. Um, like a lot of, a lot of folks in that area on farm ground grew up with cattle and that was kind of my thing. My, my dad was, a owned a plumbing business and, for the most part that's pretty much what i thought i was going to do i was going to take over the family business you know irish catholic family and i was just going to be a plumber and i was content with that living in kentucky i love i love the state of kentucky and love that lexington area thoroughbred country like that um ended up going to eastern kentucky university and got a degree in horticulture uh thought i might want to dabble with landscaping and stuff like that and, and i really enjoyed it um ran track and cross country you know in school that didn't pan out. I wasn't an Olympian, you know, so I I didn't, I didn't turn professional, you know, uh, half miler or anything like that. So after that, um, I ended up, uh, one of my buddies and it's kind of funny. He lived next door to me. He was in Lexington and he was a narcotics uh, agent and he just had the coolest stories in the world. And you know, that, that, that phrase where people say, you know i don't know what i'm going to be when i grow up or whenever i grow up this is what i'm going to do and but i mean i was like 22 years old it's kind of time to kind of start figuring it out or so i thought but he had cool stories and i remember i came home one day and i told my wife i said you know what i think i'm gonna go be a cop i was like i just think it sounds cool i don't know that i'm gonna do it for a career but i'm gonna do it for a couple years and it'd be fun to learn about walls and it'll be fun to learn how to shoot and all that kind of stuff you know and she's like that's really awesome news i have some exciting news for you as well i'm pregnant um oh man (laughs) yes that was kid number one and um anyways i ended up becoming a police officer and and i moved to northern kentucky Uh, i started working for an agency in florence florence kentucky um pretty big agency um in that greater cincinnati area and one of the guys that i went through the academy with he was from texas and he approached me one day and he said you know we ought to get into deer hunting and i said man i don't know nothing about it because where i grew up in central kentucky as a teenager we didn't have whitetail deer they didn't really? exist yeah we had there was there was whitetails in western kentucky and northern kentucky and kind of southern kentucky but central Kentucky didn't really have a white a huge whitetail population. You know, we had a lot of horses and cattle and tobacco at that time. Now a lot of those row crop farms have turned into corn and beans, and not as much you know tobacco as it used to be. But tobacco was the was the, you know prevalent or prevalent crop at that time, uh, the predominant crop. So, um, I didn't know anything about it. So I will age myself a little bit. I went to the public library and I got a book on how to be a whitetail hunter.
1: My yeah, dad did. didn't,
0: well, and my dad didn't hunt. And so I didn't have anybody to lean on, you know, we fished growing up. That was something that we did, you know, a lot, we, a lot of farm pond fishing, you know, bluegill catfish and stuff. But so I went and checked out books and just self-taught and got into, got into rifle hunting for a few years. And, and, um, in all honesty, I kind of got bored with it. It, uh, to me, it didn't present a challenge. Um, I wanted that. I need to be up close. I need to make it a little bit more of a challenge. So, I almost got out of bow hunting altogether. And one of my buddies who owned an archery shop, he he said he was a Matthews dealer at the time, and he's like, "Man, they let me. uh, Matthews lets me give away one free bow a year. I'm going to give it to you." And I was like, "Look, dude, I'm not looking for no charity handout case, you know, situation. I can work some off duty details and come up with money to buy a bow if I need to, you know." I'm not saying the wife's not going to kill me, but I, I could do it if I want to. And he said, no, no, this isn't charity. I just don't want to see you get out of hunting. And I, and I think that you're going to do something with hunting someday, you know, for a career. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, I, I wish that'd be awesome, but yeah, uh, that's,
1: that's always the pipe dream, right? <laughs>
0: right. Right. So man, I, I got a bow and instantly I was hooked and, um, you know, fast forward a bunch of years, I ended up getting into undercover narcotics and did a did a couple of stints with some DEA task force and some FBI task force work and ATF. And my old business partner, um, I used to co-own a company called Wicked Tree Gear. And we manufactured folding hand stalls and telescoping pole saws And we were in Cabela's and Bass Pro Field and Stream and all that kind of stuff. And, and he approached me one day and he's like, dude, you're the real Johnny Utah you know, referencing the point break movie. So that's where the nickname came from and, um, and just kind of rolled with it. But he had a hunting show, um, called white knuckle productions. And so I started filming my hunts for his show and that went on for a few years and I enjoyed myself and, you know, like a lot of us, you know, you grow, you evolve. Then I fell into the craft a little bit and kind of wanted to take it to the next level and do something a little bit different. So I branched off and started my own show and, then we ended up selling wicked tree gear and it kind of was like the right timing for, you know, all the stars aligned. I mean, it was still going to be a huge leap of faith, like a lot of business ventures are, but it was the right time for me to walk away from law enforcement after 16 years. And, you know, we had sold wicked, I left law enforcement and then I decided to, you know, wife and three kids Uh, we packed up, we moved to Southeast Iowa to chase this dream of, starting a hunting show producing outdoor photography content and to be a hunting personality so to speak
1: man that that's awesome so uh, i'm gonna do it for a couple of years turned into 16
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i was like i was like what the heck man you know let's roll the dice on it at the time i was 38 um when i walked away and you know one of my buddies back home he's like dude like you might have the biggest set of anybody i've ever seen in my life to roll the dice like that and i just said look no you know big risk hopefully is big reward and if this doesn't work out i got a horticulture degree to fall back on i could always go back into law enforcement you know there's an agency that would pick me up somewhere um but i was like or you know i could always go back home to lexington and take over the family plumbing business you know so I had I had options. I mean, it's not like I didn't have a safety net. But in my mind, what I told myself is there was no Plan B. It was Plan A, and and I wrote it out. I took it all the way through through some roller coasters because it's not easy, you know, um, to make it in the outdoor industry. It's not easy. You have to have some lucky breaks. I'm not even going to say the talent's got to be there. You got to be pretty lucky, and you got to fall into the right things and align yourself with the right people, be a good person. You know, that goes a long way. And like with a lot of industries, they're so much smaller than what we think they are. You know what I mean? And everybody knows everybody. So if you burn one bridge, you know, you could be blackballed across the line. And uh, I got, I got lucky and continued to work it. And, and I took the checking account down to $6 and 78 cents. (laughs) Man, that was after, and that was after I sold every asset I had. I mean, I was literally selling like an old pair of tennis shoes that I didn't wear anymore on eBay. But man, I, you I, were all in. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I oh I tr- my goodness, I treated it like I didn't have a safety net. Is what uh, my mindset was, and and just wrote it out, wrote it out. And when it hit, when it hit under seven bucks in the checking account, and there was nothing else to sell, um, that's when things got a little scary. And for the first time, I had to like become a realist and say, okay, maybe this just isn't, isn't going to work, you know, and maybe I'm going to have to move back home or something. Um, the phone rang and it was a client booking me for a photo shoot down in Florida and the phone's never stopped ringing since then. so, so- How how long was that between when you
1: decided to sell out of the business, get out of law enforcement, and then the six dollars in the checking account? Like, what what span of time was that? Three three years. Okay, so three years of a dwindling, just down 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 to a lowest, what you would consider probably a lowest point and then 100%. so how long ago was that because see here here's here's the cool part and we'll get to this later mm-hmm. but you're you're now an under armour sponsored athlete for under armour mm-hmm. hunt so how long ago was $6 in the checking account to today
0: February 23rd of 2019
1: Oh my goodness so in a little less or a little more rather than 3 years from mm-hmm. that Yeah you've made a complete Full turnarounds. We've gotten completely out of that valley, and we're back up here where the whole goal was the entire time. So yeah, obviously, yes. obviously, what a great example that progress is not linear, right? Um, exactly. And, and and man, what a what a testament because you know this podcast is called discomfort by design, and and mm-hmm. I, can, I can't think of much more of a, an intentional process that you went through. I mean, dude, you're selling tennis shoes on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like you, you looking in in your closet, like, all right, which ones can I afford to get rid of? And where am I going to have to start going barefoot everywhere? Absolutely gracious.
0: Well, and, and in reality, I mean, really a year ago, things were, things were rolling pretty, pretty good on the business side. You know, I had launched a couple of other businesses in the, in the meantime, in the last three years, you know, I started bourbon barrel calls. So I manufactured Turkey calls using uh, reclaimed Kentucky bourbon barrel heads, as the base product so uh it's kind of my go green thing you know what i mean i'm not cutting down any new trees to make turkey calls but um so that that business has done well um the the hunting show which is called primal divide has has done well it's it stands on its own two feet and produces an income and um you know i started a fun business called work more hours which is the mindset of all of this i mean that was when I was a teenager I asked my dad one time I said how do you make more money and I was thinking he was going to come up with this get rich quick scheme you know something I could do you know eliminate stand washing cars on a street corner or whatever and he's like you just work more hours that's it that's the only way you get ahead you just have to put in the work and what he meant by that was it's not just the labor or monetary gain anything you want out of life that's worth it you're gonna to have to put in the work. If you wanna be a better athlete, you wanna have a better relationship with your spouse, you wanna have a better home life, you wanna become a better cook, a better hunter, um, you wanna be, be more in shape, like it all just takes work. And what he taught me growing up, which I didn't really understand it at the time, because it's like a lot of moving parts coming at you at one time, but as you get older, then you start to really put it in place and see the process, Um, and I use this analogy. There was a gentleman at the gym this morning that asked me, he's like, dude, man, you know, like, how did you get to where you are? You know, uh, he's trying to cut some weight, you know, he's a heavier set fella and he's newly discovered the gym and and he's been making a lot of strides. And I said, here's the mindset. Let's say the beach is 50 miles away. My goal isn't to make it to the beach. My goal is to enjoy walking to the beach every single day. So if I never get there, I can still stay on track and I enjoy the process. Or in this term of work more hours, I enjoy the work and I always have enjoyed the work. So that makes it a lot easier to just never give up and and embrace the suck. You know, there's gonna be good times, there's gonna be bad times, but just stay on the path. Always try to keep putting one foot in front of the other and you may get there, you may not, but if you enjoy the process, it's not a bad beat either way.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you know, we, we, we hear that all the time, especially in athletics. You know, you look at like, like Nick Saban says it all the time, you got to trust yep. the process. You have to trust yeah. the process, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and part of that, I, I, I absolutely buy into that, that you do have to trust the process, but as, as a, as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm always evaluating my process because if Correct. I'm telling, if I'm telling kids, Hey man, you got to trust the process, the process better not be bad. Exactly, it it, it better be an actual process with some efficacy that's going to get you somewhere. If the process sucks, not not the the you know the daily in and out of it, doing the process sucks, but the actual process itself is is not good. Then you're never going to get there. But what has to happen that I've found is the process has to be the payoff, right? So like mm-hmm. you can't, if, if if you're only ever looking to the end result of everything, then then the means to the end, they don't matter. But when, yeah. when the process becomes the payoff, when the means to the end becomes what you're actually enjoying, then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you get to the goal and it's like, oh, well, I can keep doing this for an indeterminate amount of time. And I think that, I think that's where you find true success. And I mean, someone like you is a great example. You get into this process and all of a sudden now, like, Oh, we, we, I'm a hunting personality. I'm making a career out of hunting in the outdoors. Okay. What's next. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't have, you don't have that, you know, identity problem where you're like, Oh my God, what do I do now?
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like, there's a buddy of mine. Um, Jason Matzinger lives out in Bozeman, Montana, and he has a hunting show and he's been in the outdoor space a long time, really solid individual. Him and I were talking one day about the certain business models of hunting shows. And this kind of equates to can kind of, you know, branch out to other uh, categories, field categories and occupations. But his example was in the outdoor hunting, filming TV industry, you know, a lot of these shows will set up their business model on based on the ha- killing or harvest you know, of an animal, and that's it. Well, that's not a sustainable business model. You cannot do that year in, year out, 15, 16 times a year. It's just not gonna happen. The odds are not in your favor. But what is sustainable is to tell a good story, share the experience, Uh, whether it be the scenery or the process that you went through to get to that hunt or why you're chasing that hunt, be a good advocate and storyteller and steward, you know, of the sport that's sustainable. Um, So, and that's very much the way I've done. My career is yeah. Sometimes I get lucky and I've shot been lucky enough to shoot some, some big cool animals, you know Um, but not always, it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, So you better be sure to tell the story And enjoy the process and again that goes back to enjoy the process of the journey you know what i mean and not just reaching the goal and there will be times when i know that i'm going to tackle something hard that i will give myself little trinkets along the path and it's a little pick me up you know i'm not saying they're big things to have a parade over but you might get bake a cake over it you know what i mean (laughs) you might have a little victory here or there and, and that and that does help, you know, kind of keep the process going. But it's funny, everything that I've done in life, it all comes back to the gym and some exercise weightlifting program. Uh, and I truly feel like that is the base of all of my drive and my work ethic. You know, muscles or whatever PRs—that's all a byproduct. Going to the gym and kicking my own ass and making myself get up and do it on the days I don't want to do it, that's the baseline, you know? So, and and, you know, somebody who's not into weightlifting, they're probably not listening to this podcast, but (laughs) if, if they are, get up and make your bed. And some days you don't feel like doing it, but just force yourself to do some task every day that you may or may not want to do. And you start to see a rhythm you know what i mean you start to feed off of that okay what can i build on to next you know what's the next thing i can do um and it's so important setting goals for yourself achievable goals you know i i didn't set a goal that i was going to become president but my goal was which in this day and time maybe i should but like my goal was that i want to i want to hunt and i want to make a career out of hunting and shooting photos um, and I got lucky, you know.
1: Well, I mean, yes, in a way, you did. But, but part of I think part of being lucky, and yes, you you have to realize that sometimes things happen that that you just got lucky, and it, it was you were in the right place at the right time. But if you look a little deeper than that, often I find that people who say, "Man, I just got lucky," they cultivated that through what they've been doing for years and years and years. And it, it goes back to exactly like what you just said. If, if it's something even as simple as, man, I'm going to get up every single day, two minutes earlier, I'm going to make my bed. Mm-hmm. That's going to turn okay. into something else. Like, okay, I can do this easy. So what's the next thing I can do? I can yeah. get up five minutes earlier, make my bed and do 15 push push-ups.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And it compounds. And then all of a sudden Somebody gets gets lucky for an opportunity that they cultivated and created, maybe not intentionally, maybe not on purpose, but put themselves in a position to be able to say, hey, yeah, I'll do that and take advantage of that opportunity when, if they hadn't done the work previously, never would have been there.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're spot on because inherently as humans, we're competitive. And you can take it back all the way to the time when your parents were like, clean plate award, clean your plate, you get this. Um, You know, nobody that's in school, if they didn't get a little excited when they got a higher test grade than their buddy is a liar, you know what I mean? (laughs) If they said that (laughs) never happened. So inherently we are competitive people, but if you learn to compete with yourself, that's a game changer. That's, That's your only competition. You know what I mean? So everybody has it in them. And like you said, all it takes is it's a domino effect. Start with one thing, kick ass at it, and then mentally you'll train yourself to find the next thing. You know, what's going to be the next thing to tackle? And you just kind of keep that going. And yeah, you know, there's that phrase. I think it's. Um, uh poor, poor planning leads to poor results and poor opportunities and missed opportunities and stuff like that. So I think you got to put yourself in the game to win, to have the opportunities to, you know, to succeed.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. absolutely. You're not, you're not going to hit a home run if you're not getting up to bat. Correct. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the thing, you know, you can be, you can't be on the sidelines forever and expect to be, to be a part of it. You have to get some skin in the game. You have to, to, get yourself in a position to be successful. And ultimately a lot of times that comes down to getting uncomfortable and to Very, embra- yeah. embracing the opportunity for failure, because that's, that's what I think is is what scares so many people mm-hmm. nowadays. People are terrified to fail. Mm-hmm. People are terrified to look bad. They're terrified to suck at something and, and they're terrified to not be successful right away. Mm-hmm. And they're terrified to have $6 in their bank account with three kids and a wife who's looking at you going, what in the hell are you doing? Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Like, yeah.
1: I mean, my God, like, I, I'm, I'm stressed out right now thinking about having to look at my <laughs> wife and be like, hey, look, we're going to go and I'm going to do this and we're going to be super successful. And then a few years later, like, hey, baby, we got $6 in the bank account and we're on Viennese and Raymond until further notice. Yeah. And, yeah. oh, by the way, that's also our three kids. And she's going to be like, you know, you're freaking stupid and I'm yeah. out.
0: it was was scary, man. It was, um, it was tough. And, you know, we've talked about it since then, like, um, was there ever any doubt, you know, were you a little freaked out? And I remember there, there would be a couple of times that she might even shed a tear or two, you know, we were getting ready for bed and we were talking about finances and how things were going. And, you know, she would get pretty upset with it, which, um, which kills me, you know what I mean? Like that was probably the lowest point uh, was, was seeing her upset about it. And then there was another low point for me that I'll never forget where my oldest son, he had a, um, a field trip, school field trip, and it was like 25 bucks, you know, to go on the field trip. And I didn't have $25. And I had to tell him that he couldn't go on the field trip with his friends oh, and knowing, man. knowing what that was going to do to him, potentially, you know, kids tease him or make fun of him or, you know, something like that. And, you know, that was one of the lowest points ever for me. And, you know, I turned that into motivation and drive. But, you know, I asked her, I said, did you ever have doubts that this wasn't going to work? And she's like, I'll be honest, you know, she was freaked out and she was scared. She was worried. Um, but she had faith. She's like, you're not a quitter. You're not a failure. And I knew that you would pull through that you were, you were going to reach your goals, you know, that you weren't going to give up until you did. And it, I wish it had taken three months but unfortunately it took you know two and a half or so years but it's just crazy man i mean and and i i kind of alluded to it in one of my posts when i made the under armor announcement um you know a mutual person that we both know kobe folks um you know he attends the winter strong events and stuff he could pass for burt's twin um yes he can (laughs) yeah um but kobe when he when his brother you know his brother kip you know, co-founded Under Armour and when he was still working at Under Armour himself I had a meeting with him nine years ago and he oh, was the wow. guy so in my post I alluded to getting turned down by Under Armour nine years ago Kobe was the guy that said no he was who I had the meeting with and um, even though he told me no he told me why he was telling me no and I just wasn't ready my stuff wasn't on the level yet you know what I mean and we maintained a friendship we stayed friends even though he turned me down um he did it tactfully and respectfully told me what i needed to work on we stayed friends over the years and then you know fast forward nine years and under Armour's calling saying hey we'd like to put you on as an under armor athlete and you know the under armor hunt team um and then at the same time Kobe and his business partner, Steve, are hiring me to go to Bahamas with them to shoot content, you know, for their fly rod company. So those those things are so cool. And they, you know, like I said, nine to be told nine years ago, and then nine years later, they come back around. I don't have to re-ask. They, they you know, they came back around. So uh, those are those little victories that you're like, see, I stayed the course. I stayed the course, you know, and a lot of people are not willing to wait nine years. Um, you know, a lot of times people, and we've met people that get into a fitness program or get into a hobby and they're like, yeah, I suck at it. And they just quit. Um, and you can't do that. And no,
1: no, you absolutely cannot. And, and that's kind of that's kind of the thing that that I, I really love in this this whole story that you've just told us. I mean, dude, nine years ago you have a guy that tells you no, you're not ready, you're not what we need, you're not good enough right now, mm-hmm. and how many people today take that and internalize it and they're like, all right, I'm done, yeah, I'm done, and and they, they take it as a personal slight mm-hmm. and completely be like, okay, well, I I got to know, I got a failure, I'm out, and yeah. then instead, you know, you, you, but. That that's the thing, man. Like all these high achievers that I talk to, all these people Bert, you, uh, Jack Donovan, you know Colin Cottrell, who I had on last week. This is, these guys that hear no, and they hear, you know, they they always get to the yes, right? They're, there's every no that I hear is just one no closer to the yes. And mm-hmm. when you embrace that mentality, it allows you to take a no in stride and propel yourself. It allows yeah. you to get down the road further. And I, I, man, I think that is an invaluable skill that so many people today don't have.
0: No, it's a, we live in a generation now where it's instant results, instant gratification and everybody wants it now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we see it with technology. We see it with uh, everything that we do in life. And as business owners, you know, you kind of got to cater to that a little bit and try to put things at people's fingertips. You know, there's a reason why my show now is on Waypoint where people can watch it right on their phone through an app, or they can watch it on Sling TV or Pluto TV, you know, their streaming networks and things like that. And, you know, of course, then they can also look at it on YouTube, but it's just having, having that thing at people's fingertips and kind of cater to it. Um, so I've had to make some adjustments because that's kind of against my mindset. My mindset is, I know if I want something, I'm going to find a way to, to get it right. Not, not everybody's like that. So, you know, well that's man,
1: that's an interesting thought because you know, to be successful in business, you, you have to be accessible, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to, when you're putting out content like that, you want to be Mm -hmm. able to reach the biggest audience, as quickly and easily as possible to have an effect, to have a broad scale effect. So if you create a barrier to entry, that's even though I I completely agree with what you're saying, even though that goes exactly with your brand of work more hours and how you built yourself and how you got to where you are, not everybody thinks like that. So if you want to remain successful, you have Mm -hmm. to reduce the barrier to entry. I think, I think that's a great concept, man. That's good stuff.
0: It's weird. It's, and it's, and it. sometimes I struggle with it. Because I just assume that everybody is going to put in the work like I do, and um, unfortunately that's not the case, you know it it, it is what it is but um, but yeah, I mean so I try to I try to put out as much content as I can and be as accessible as I can. It's getting tougher now as the brands are growing, you know it used to be I could field every single question immediately you know as soon as it came in and now it's I kind of have to pick and choose because if I'm not careful, I could literally spend my entire day could just be answering questions, you know, via social media. And, oh yeah. Uh, I completely see that. Yeah. So it gets a little tougher.
1: So, so what's, so what's next then? So like, are are you looking at scale? Like, are we, are we looking at like, how are we going to grow this to be able to, because eventually it's going to have to be more than just Johnny, right? Eventually yes. it's going to have to be J- Johnny's team who does all of these things to allow you to continue to yeah. create the content. And, yeah. you know, from what I know about you and our interactions that we've had at Soar Next Outdoors with Winter Strong and conversations mm-hmm. we've had, you're a family guy. Yep. You know, you're you're not going to neglect your duties as dad and, and, and spouse to go over here and answer questions from Johnny internet who has yeah. no, you know, input or, or bearing in your life whatsoever. So yeah. what scale look like, man, what's the future look like right now?
0: Yeah, it's, and, and we're at that, uh, we're at that crossroad. We're actually right now. Um, you know, I've started hiring some part-time videographers to come in and help on a few hunts here and there, And, you know, I have another business, Johnny Utah Creative, which is just freelance photography, videography and marketing consulting type stuff uh, with a little bit of sprinkle, a little bit of product design work um, with a few firms. You know, I've done some design work for Mystery Ranch years ago and and helped Sitka with some design work when I was with those guys and stuff. But um, so I'm at that point where for me to continue to scale on one side of the coin. So first off, the larger, you know, in this space, the larger reach and audience that I have, there is, there is a CPM value that I can charge more for the exact same content that I'm doing simply because more eyeballs are seeing it. So it has more value. Yeah. Um, that's one way to scale. And that's just gonna happen. It either, it, was well, was either going to happen or it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of control over that. You know, uh, I don't get to decide who likes me and who doesn't like me. So, uh, the other side of scale for my business is just more volume. And the only way to do more volume is bringing on, you know, somebody. And I've got a couple of people in mind that I've talked to about coming on board and, and we're getting really, really close as a company as a gross volume sales-wise, gross dollars, to bring that person, that key person in. And um, you know the other thing to look at too is my buddy's like, dude, I kind of have an idea financially what dollars you're bringing in. How come you haven't hired somebody yet? And I said, okay, you're looking at that through the filter of a person that gets a W-2 that has a day job. With a day job, you don't spend any of that money it's that's right. The money, the paycheck is the paycheck. Other than the gas money to go back and forth to work, that's it. My business, I'm buying lots of fuel to travel across the country. There's flights, there's hotels, there's part-time camera guys, there's tags, um and the way I hunt, I mean, the goal is to go on 12, 13, 14 hunts a year. So it adds up <laughs> very yeah, quickly. So I would say probably 30, 35% of my gross income is going right back out the door in overhead cost, uh, cost of goods sold. So, you know, there's that part of it as well that I think uh, a lot of times people don't understand being a business owner, being self-employed, you know, some of the hidden costs. So uh, it takes a lot more money than what people think to be able to afford a key guy. And I don't want somebody that I have to train I want somebody that's ready to hit the ground running and somebody that can adapt like a chameleon to my style of, you know, videography, photography. So that way it comes across seamless in the brand. Um, right. But, but somebody trustworthy enough that let's say I'm hunting somewhere and there's a photo shoot to be done. I can send them with a client to go handle the photo shoot and I don't have to worry about it. Um, so that's, that's scale for me. There's, there's two ways to scale. One is volume and one is just added value of what I already do. And one I can control and one that I can't. The right. one that I, The one that I can control is producing more volume. and And I'm at my absolute end of the road as far as what I can give. Cause it's already seven days a week, 14 hours a day right Um, as it is. So, and I would like to spend, you know, have that time to spend more time with my family. I'll never be a nine to five guy. That's just not my mindset. And my wife has come accustomed to that. Um, early on in our relationship, you know, I, I mentioned to her, I said, look, you're never going to catch me like just hanging out at strip clubs, hanging out at the bars, hanging out at casinos. I said, but I'm going to work. And I'm kind of selfish about my work. And you have to understand that about me. And, And she was, she was cool with that. And she understands, she understands it. You know, she's like, well, I I didn't marry a deadbeat. You know what I mean? I want a guy that works. So, so it works out.
1: That's awesome, man. And then, and and that's another great point to anyone listening to this. When you choose a spouse, man, you got to choose a ride or die. That's going to buy into Mm
0: -hmm. your
1: vision and going to buy into you and, and something that you guys can do together and grow together. Because, you know, I mean, there's, there's no Johnny Utah without her. obviously because you know she she bought into your vision and stayed around when you had six dollars in your checking account excuse the interruption everybody i'm sorry but for some unknown reason we had a technical difficulty right in the middle of this episode where both mine and johnny's computer connection completely blipped out on both sides uh fortunately we were able to get reconnected and pick the episode up right where we were at with uh talking about johnny and his wife and their how important it is to have a a spouse that's uh, all in with you. So uh, again, apologize for that technical inconvenience, but uh, we'll get right back to the episode. Thanks guys. Okay. So sorry, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm really sorry. Johnny and I were in the (laughs) middle of a great conversation. And then both, both ends of our computer just like poop and completely shut
0: off. So um, as I was saying, you got to have a ride or die spouse, man. You have to. So important. And And I probably, to be honest, man, I I probably don't deserve her. I mean, she's, she's been the best mom in the world and and been my best friend. And um, none of this would be possible without her, you know, just having that rock. I mean, she may not always tell me that she loves and supports everything that I'm doing, but she's there and without judgment, you know, at times. And she lets me do my thing and, um man, it's just, it's been awesome. I mean, we've been married 22 years now and it seems like that's kind of an odd thing nowadays, you know, to a uh, marriage to even make it that long. So it right,
1: absolutely is. You know, my wife and I are coming up on 10 years in January mm-hmm. and, and I look at like, you know, people I went to school with, um, the one, some of the ones that have, that have been you know, married since the time that we, yeah. we were in school. A lot of them are on second, even third marriages. And I'm like, dang, man, that's that's uh, that's no good, um, no. You know, and, and and you know sometimes I will say this just for anyone listening who who may have been down that road. Sometimes going your separate ways from someone is the best thing for both of you. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to make a blanket statement that that all divorce is bad, but you know that that goes back to what I said. When you make that decision, when you make that choice, you 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 really need to put the effort and the time in to make sure that that person is someone who's going to stare down the ugly with you and Mm -hmm. you know I had a conversation with a good friend of mine we were talking about you know marriage and things like that and and one of the most profound things I've ever heard is that so many couples really mess up because when there's a problem the problem um, makes them go against each other and it becomes a me versus you situation Mm -hmm. that when in reality marriage should be the opposite of that it should be me and you against the problem. So the problem is the problem. And we're on a team to figure out how to, you know, overcome the problem, not I'm trying to figure out how to overcome you. And man, that's, that's so vitally important. And that, that also takes a lot of intentionality and effort and doing the work day in and day out of making sure that you choose that person and that you are, you know, everything that you do, you're thinking about how is this going to affect them? How is this going to affect my family? It's not just, oh, what does Taylor want or what does Johnny want or what are we going to do? But, you know, understanding yeah. that there's more going on than just us.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I and I think in current times with uh, Will Smith and Johnny Depp, they probably should have made their choices a little wiser. <laughs> oh, man.
1: Uh, what a, oh, good gracious. I don't even, I don't even <laughs> want to go down that road, my Lord. If that's
0: If that's not a reminder to every person, you better choose your spouse wisely.
1: Absolutely. You know, and it, it was, I saw a, a picture of them the other day and it said they are, they serve as great reminders that no matter how famous, no matter how much money you have, no matter how good looking you are, yeah, you better make sure you make a good choice on who you are uh-huh. bringing into your life. And yeah. uh, man, that's, that's, that's good stuff. So yeah. <laughs> um, all right, man. Car- so tell me, tell me a little bit about. About this Under Armour deal, so you, yeah. you 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 know you became a hunting personality. You got in the outdoor media space. Uh, you were with Sitka before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, walk me through that transition from Sitka to Under Armour, um, and and how that came about. Obviously, you said you know it was nine years ago. You got the no, man. What got you the yes?
0: Yeah. So, um, back in 2015, Sitka was launching a new pattern which was known as the whitetail pattern or also known as the, uh, elevated Two EV two pattern. And they had reached out to me and they said, look, we're putting together this ambassador team. Um, there was about 25, 30, maybe, maybe, maybe 35 people in the United States that they were picking. And, um, I was like, Holy crap, man, this is Sitka. Like I'm a nobody, you know? <laughs> um, and you know, I guess I was still at that point in my life where I thought, man, if you're going to have a big impact, like you got to have a hundred thousand followers or a million followers or something to get this kind of an opportunity. And because of law enforcement, I couldn't really have social media. I think I might have had three hundred followers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I was like, man, this is this is kind of weird, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in. So I joined that team. And in the early years, there was a lot of innovation, a lot of, a lot of design coming out with new products every year. And then things kind of got stale, kind of got stagnant. You know, once they had launched that line, um, I don't know that there was a lot of room for a lot of extra innovation, so to speak. You know, there's only so many different shirt styles and textile fabric changes and things. So, um, Things kind of got stale after, you know, the last few years. And I kind of felt like um, I wanted to do more within the company. And now things were growing, you know, the show's doing well, my following's going up. I'm working with Hoyt and Diamondback and Grizzly and Cold Steel, Luminoc and, you know, HHA, it goes on and on and on. And I'm working with all these brands and, and I'm having opportunities to co-brand with a lot of different people. And I felt like I was making an impact and moving the needle. Well, me as a person, it's hunting, gym, fishing, probably in that order. Maybe, Well, maybe it's gym, hunting, fishing, but it's kind of a toss-up at times. But um, those are the three things of life that I do. And if I added a fourth hobby, it would be work. And to me, work is a hobby because I truly enjoy it that much. But those are the three things that I do. And, and I mean, I was very obvious, it was obvious to know Under Armour is a brand that could cover, check all those boxes, you know, very mm. well. And with the last name of Mulligan, if I pick up golf, like I'm a shoe in, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, this is a perfect fit. Um, And sometimes change is good, you know, mixing things up and when when that's my thing when things get stale i get bored and there's no way for me to spice things up with sitka i had approached i had said hey i want to grow more i want to do more what can i do okay well help us design some more stuff cool but it wasn't going anywhere you know what i mean and um so anyways I kind of got like i said i got bored with it and uh the under armor thing came along and and i started putting out some feelers you know maybe i want to talk to kuyu maybe i want to talk to under armor and and uh i think a couple of people knew that i was kind of unhappy with sitka and as a company you know what i mean like great great products um and and what they've built as a brand um I tip my hat to, and I'll Mm -hmm. always have respect, you know, like Sitka fell into that category of the Yeti, you know, um, innovating and creating a market space, a category, a brand category.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember Uh, when I was in college, I worked at Bass Pro Shop for a little while mm -hmm. just to make some extra money. And part of where I was at was in the camping camo, and footwear area. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, you know, that that when Sitka really kind of had that little ramp up and it was like, Oh man! So this is that high quality, you know. This is the top shelf brand. When you you yeah. Bass Pro sells a lot of like Redhead,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, that's their mm-hmm. own
1: personal mm-hmm. brand or whatever. And now they have True Timber, um, yeah. But that was I can remember that happening and that transition where Sitka really did kind of create their own space within a very, very I wouldn't say crowded, but a very top heavy space. You know, in the, in the camo world, it was. Um Mosio can and Realtree for mm-hmm. Emperor especially yep. for guys over here in the eastern side of the country that hunt whitetails. So mm-hmm. uh
0: Sitka coming along, I can I can definitely remember that. So that's very interesting to hear that. Yep. And it was huge. It just it blew up. And what what I really liked about Sitka in the early years was you had guys like David Brinker, um John Barklow, Jeff Sposito, Corey Pearsall, Bill Neff, Dennis Zuck. And of all those names I just mentioned, um, only two of those people are still there. And so when they were growing that brand, I mean, it was from the ground up. It was the passion. It was the innovation. It was the people that believed in the brand. And those were the front guys. Those were the guys leading the, the march. Um, and I dug that about them, you know? And I had made a comment five, six years ago. I said, you know, this, this machine that is Sitka, the only thing that kills Sitka is Sitka internally. Yep. Yep. And you know, a lot of key players, Pasito, um, Brinker, Bill Neff, Corey Pearsall, those guys left the company for various reasons. Well, now you now you lost your voice. You lost the champions of your brand that built it and no fault of some younger kids that came on board, but they weren't there when the company went from a million to 300 million, you know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't see that growth. They didn't build that growth when they just kind of walked into it when it was already a huge conglomerate. And, um, in my opinion, it changed the dynamics of the company a little bit. Well, sure. You know, when
1: you, when you have people running things that don't have the skin in the game, it it is a completely different animal.
0: Yes. A hundred percent. So a lot of that changed, um, you know, and technically even Zuck left, but he, he went to Yeti and he came back. But in my opinion, when he left, it was like leaving that hen house unattended a little bit. And when he came back, you know, um, there, the change had happened. So in reality, poor Barklow is the only one that was sticking around for all those years (laughs) And uh, trying to be, you know, one of the old dogs, you know, there and and he and he's still there. But um, so um, started talking with Under Armour and technically conversation started back in September of last year. Yeah. And to me, it was a big change. And I wanted to see the gear. I wanted to see the textiles. I wanted to test them out. So I took some of their product line with me on an Idaho hunt. I took some on an antelope hunt. Um, I whitetail hunted out of it a little bit this year. Took some down to Texas in some really warm temperatures, and um, and I was like, okay, it's solid stuff. You know, let's let's start talking. So, of course, we went through the negotiation process of, you know, what's it going to take? What's what's this thing look like to scale? Where's where is growth potential? Uh, where can we do, do this? And and I think my value. To their brand was one being a Sitka ambassador, um, coming on board, but also being somebody that hunts everything from turkeys, whitetails, antelope, mule deer, elk, bears. You know, um, yeah, I, I hunt everywhere, and also the gym side of things as, as well. You know, and helping advocate, which is a very strong message that Under Armour has always had in their hunting side is you know, the fitness side, you know, go go further, you know, hunt, hunt deeper and, and having, having that, um, that mindset and that strength and conditioning side to, to help out with those hunts. So, and, and I, that's, that's been something that I've held very near and dear, you know, as to my branding and stuff that I do. So it was just a great fit and, um, they, they get it uh, their marketing agency that they work with intimately. Um, they understand it. I've got a great working relationship with those guys already. Um, you know, they're a phone call away and you know, I have been, I've been tickled to death. I'm excited to see where things are going to go and continue to grow. And they've given me an opportunity to also produce, you know, some photo content. So not just on a personality side, but also contribute on a creative side as well.
1: No, that's awesome. So like, are, are they, um, are they still doing a lot of licensing with like other like camo brands to, to run their patterns, or are they developing their own patterns? Yeah. Um, I, I, that, that intrigues the heck out of me. So my, my brother, when he was playing football at Ole Miss, um, mm-hmm. he, his roommate, he lived with a guy named Tyler Jordan. I don't know if you know yeah. Bill, Bill Jordan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so Tyler, Tyler is Bill Jordan's son, and Bill Jordan uh-huh. is the founder creator of Realtree Camouflage. Yeah. Um, Bill actually played football at Ole Miss when Archie Manning was quarterback there. Uh, a lot okay. of people, a lot of people don't know that.
0: I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, I just learned something.
1: Yeah, he was a, he was a wide receiver at Ole Miss. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why Tyler came came over there to go to school, and and my brother and Tyler were roommates. And so every time I was around him, I was always listening and trying to glean some of this stuff because that dude's just a treasure trove of, of hunting knowledge. Because he grew oh, yeah. up, he grew up in it, right? So and and so my my question was are they doing their own stuff? Are they licensing those brands or like what's, what's Under Armour doing that got you so excited about their camo?
0: So they, they still have a partnership uh, with Realtree. I would say it's not as uh, prominent as it once was. Um, they did develop their own pattern, this Ridge Reaper camo pattern. And yeah. Um, so they have the Baron and then they have the forest and the Baron is going to be kind of what it sounds like. It's a little more, tans blacks western hunting type deal yeah more western and then the forest is going to introduce more of the greens it's a little bit darker um so that's nice and, and i and truth be known even when i was with sitka if somebody hooked me up to a lie detector test and gave me some truth serum i was always going to admit that the under armor ridge reaper pattern has always been my favorite pattern I've liked it. I, I see the benefits of it in the woods, but mm-hmm. even aesthetically to the human eye, I mean, dude, I'm telling you right now, I'd wear a three piece suit to church in it. You know what <laughs> I, mean? I just, I just think it's good looking, you know, I think it's great. So, um, that, that was always kind of one of those things. And there's, uh, there's something in the works right now that, uh, I'm going to get to display, the Ridge Reaper camo pattern every day as I roll down the road. Uh oh. So, yeah. Gonna be wrapped so up. I love it. Yeah. So we're working on a design right now. And uh once we get uh, all the final approvals and we'll get it all printed up and yeah, I'll slap it on the truck. So that's man, that's fantastic. You know, I I've um Man, I've got a, I've got a, a group chat
1: of buddies, and and it comes up often. We talk about I mean, hunting is is a very prominent thing throughout our our group of friends. You you probably mm-hmm. met a lot of them. A bunch of those guys have been at Winter Strong and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, we actually had a conversation not too terribly long ago about whether or not camo patterns really matter because you know you see guys, uh, yeah. everybody you know the the Fred Bear thing where he's out there in freaking red flannel and a. Yeah. A, a hat that's just, he's like, man, he's not hunting. You know, he does not look like he's hunting. He looks like he's going to a cabin somewhere to hang out and chill. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, then you get, you also, Fred bears a legend that killed a little bit of everything everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So like, what, what's your take on that? You know, is, is camo really that important?
0: I think first and foremost um, it's another tool, you know, protein, creatine, aminos, pre-workout, I know I would never work out with any of those. Does any one of those things individually, are they going to make noticeable differences on the daily? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, collectively, the totality of everything, yes, you know, they they make improvements. So I see camo as another one of those things in the camo patterns. Um, there are some extreme differences. You know, we know that whitetails see the color blue, so that's probably a color we want to do away from, but I, at the basis of all of it, I've always been a huge open pattern technology camo person. Um, If if you, in anybody who's hunting that wants to prove or disprove this myth or belief, go into the woods in the fall when there's no leaves on the tree and stand on the ground and pick a tree that's 20 to 30 yards away. That's going to be about your whitetail shot, you know, maybe even 10 yards uh, with a bow and look up, find a spot in the tree that's 15 to 22 feet off the ground and look up at the tree. You're going to see a whole lot more white, blue, gray skies than you are going to see branches. So do I want to wear a camo that's really, really dark? No, because I'm going to look like a big blob up in the tree. And it's easy for deer to pick you out of the tree so i've always preferred a camo pattern that had a lot of light colors in it very open spaces because that looks more like what the deer is going to see when they look up a tree um i remember when companies like predator camo first started doing some whites and grays in that old pattern that fall gray and people were like oh my god deer are gonna see you from a mile away Well, maybe if I was laying on the ground, but if I'm up in the tree, you know, I look like I've got some sky sections to me and, and, you know, Sid could do the same thing with their whitetail pattern. They put a lot of whites and grays in that, and, and that baron works the same, you know, even though it was kind of designed for Western hunting, um, I'm very, I'm very excited about how well that's going to work, you know, for me, you know, this fall in the trees as well. So can you hunt in pink and blue polka dot as long as you're scent free and still yeah 100 percent, you can get it done it's just another tool to help you out you know what i mean
1: yeah i mean and that that kind of goes the opposite direction as well i mean if you can't shoot and you're not still and you smell like whatever um yeah, no you trot out the there, gonna no camera you. in the world is going to help you it doesn't matter if you're invisible
0: um yeah so yeah. I, if no, you I, if you eat uh if you you know if you eat nothing but you know swiss cake rolls for every single meal you're probably not going to gain any muscle either you know what I, mean? I hope dan McKim's listening to this his little <laughs> hey i'm a little debbie fan man i tell you i see an oatmeal cream pie it's getting eaten but uh, oh man the og i love yeah. it yeah yeah oh man i love daniel he's his videos they absolutely crack me up
1: oh i know man he's so funny um I got to see Dan a couple of weeks ago at a collegiate strength conditioning coaches association conference out in Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. And that man, that dude's just a great time. He's fun to be around that, that whole crew that Bert's put together with his uh, equipment sales side of things. Is just a fun oh, yeah. with guys Brand,
0: with Brandon, Brandon's such a deep guy. And, you know, and it, ironically, Brandon and I, we know a ton of the same people. I was going to ask you about that, but never knew each other. We That's never, so, so many mutual friends, the, how we ever did not meet each other is mind boggling to me because I went to school, I went to college where he lives and, I, you know, and looking back on it, I'm fairly confident that I heard his name before, you know, in the lifting world. Um, but just never, never met the guy, but it's, it's kind of funny
1: yeah and I was gonna ask you about that you know him being right there from from well it, people will say bet that joker he he'll tell you paint lick um yeah, but you know I was gonna ask that because he you, you guys have you really cross over so much
0: mm-hmm. between
1: the outdoor space and and the strength and conditioning space and and mm-hmm. uh even in the marketing space that dude's a flipping genius marketer um yeah. so I, that that's wild that you guys were that close and never never really connected until all these years later. That's, that's, that's pretty intense.
0: Yeah. Um, And I didn't even, uh, I met, uh, I met Brandon face to face um, at the big sky tack event this past summer uh, was the first time that I met him. And he's like, I know who you are. I followed you for a little while, you know, not physically hit the follow button, but he was like, I, I was keeping tabs on you. I've seen your stuff pop up, you know, from time to time. And probably seen like my content on other companies' pages that he follows, and you know stuff like that. But yeah, we him and I've hit it off, and yeah, he's a super good guy. But you know, back on this camo thing too. Um, more importantly than sometimes even pattern textiles are so important because if you're not comfortable or if you're not warm, you're not even going to be there when the action happens. Anyway, it's like you know you got to be there. Um, step one getting in shape. You got to physically be there. You got to go to where the weight room is, or at least put on some running shoes to start, you know, so you got to get in the game and, um, you know, Under Armour is such a huge company and being in Maryland, you know, they're right there next to Gore and there's so many things that they can do uh, with their, with their textiles. So, there's some new stuff coming out as well and launching this women's line for this fall. And, you know, that's going to be important. That's going to be nice. So,
1: yeah. I saw that, uh, they brought yeah. on Amanda Caldwell as well to that, that hunting team. I was, I was pretty excited for her about that. She's a, she seems like an awesome person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They brought on Rihanna. Um, yes, they brought they did. on, um, Amanda, um, that might've been a package deal cause they're, you know, like <laughs> I wouldn't best, doubt it. Yeah. Like best friends, you know? So, um, yeah, and, you know, it's funny because even Amanda and I, we had talked a little bit. I didn't talk about the Under Armour stuff to very many people, but she was one of the people that I did talk to a little bit about um, back even in the, uh, the winter. It was like November, December, and her and I had chit-chatted a little bit about the possibility of me going over to Under Armour, and she was like, you know, I'm kind of thinking the same, you know. So it was interesting. You know, I had at least somebody – on the inside that we could kind of discuss like, you know, well, this is, we're kind of talking about this and, you know, here's the timeline. And ironically we were supposed to, the public announcement for myself on the Under Armour athlete side was supposed to be made at Winter Strong. So there's a few pictures of me from Winter Strong where I'm wearing some Under Armour stuff. Cause that's all I brought. And it was, and you remember it was kind of cold. So Yeah, man, that, that, that one of those nights was really cold. Yeah, yeah, I had uh, I had I, I burned through some propane in my tent that night, um, but I remember putting on more and more clothes to stay warm, and I was dipping into the Under Armour, and I'm like, man, I really don't want to wear this publicly because I don't know that this deal's gonna happen yet or not. It ultimately ended up not happening, um, but like I said, there was there was a few pictures that surfaced to me wearing Under Armour, and that got a few a little bit of chatter.
1: Yeah, oh, I re- yeah. I remember that people people been like, why is he not wearing Sitka?
0: Uh-huh. Why is he
1: not wearing Sitka? Especially yeah. when there's there's so much Sitka around, so it's really oh, yeah. easy to to see. All right, so all right, Johnny's a Sitka guy, and then like, oh crap, why? Hang on a minute, what's going yeah. on right here? It's like, yeah, man, that was yeah, that was. Uh, I I distinctly remember hearing some of those conversations happen. Um, yep. Yeah, you're right. It was so freaking cold Saturday that Saturday night. I didn't. I did not. Uh, I was stupid and didn't bring a, a heater. And so, man, I got up in my tent and like four layers of clothes and wrapped up and with a freaking beanie on and gloves. I was I was actually I was OK, but it, it got very, very cold.
0: Yeah. I remember waking up at like four o'clock in the morning and those propane heaters will last about four and a half, five hours on a on a jug. And uh, it had gone out and I was like, oh. Oh, so I had to get <laughs> out of my sleeping bag and I screwed on another Don, actually uh Don from Clean Eats um had ran into town and he picked up uh picked up two jugs, two two propane um can- canisters for me. So thank thank heavens he did that and I screwed one of those things in and I was warm and toasty again, but
1: no, man, I I completely didn't even think about it. I was like, man, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that cold. You know, I did this last year. Last year wasn't too bad. I didn't get cold. And then freaking Saturday night got down to like 16. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, I was, I was definitely. Uh,
0: well, and funny was um, I, I had my, uh, I was going to put my rooftop tent on my truck. That's what I had. I had
1: my, had my rooftop tent.
0: Yeah. And I was going to have my, um, and I wasn't going to bring a wall tent. Well, then Amanda Caldwell and Rihanna and Jess Byers, they were like, hey, if you have an extra wall tent, can you bring it? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can throw a wall tent in the bed of the truck, you know, that's cool. Well, then it gets to be like a week away from the event and the weather turned and it went from instead of 45, it went for like a low of 29 and rain. And I called Amanda and I said, hey, I don't mean to be an Indian giver here, so to speak, Uh, but it's going to be cold and it's going to be raining. And when it comes to like trying to get dressed in a rooftop tent, it's not the most ideal situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I said, uh, I'm going to bring a wall tent, but I'm sorry, I'm sleeping in it. You know what (laughs) I mean? And I'm like, you girls are more than willing and welcome to pile in there. It's plenty big for four or five adults. Um, and nobody will be touching anybody. I said, you know, I want to be respectful of you girls. If you girls want to go in there, get in your sleeping bags, get ready for bed. And then I'll just come, come in at the last minute, hop in my bag. And, and, you know, we're all adults here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we've all, we've all shared hunt camps with, with, you know, different genders. So I was like, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, I ain't sleeping in a rooftop tent and bringing y'all my wall tent and freeze my butt off and get soaking wet. <laughs> well, I,
1: I actually, I, I had a, I have a, a Rome vagabond rooftop tent and uh-huh. man, my, my wife got me that for Christmas. And uh-huh. because that my, my oldest son is five years old. He'll be six in August. And he is absolutely eat up with hunting. He loves hunting. He actually yeah. went with us to Missouri last, last month to turkey hunt so his uh-huh. first his first time going off had a he had a he had absolutely blast um that's cool so i set that tent up and and when she bought it uh she got it at a, a big black friday markdown which is really cool heck yeah and she got the um the annex that goes on the bottom of it yeah, and hangs yeah. down to the ground yep, yep yep that makes life so much easier when you're thinking about like changing clothes and stuff because i just left all my clothes in the bottom Climb up there to sleep, have everything zipped up, and I could get down there and get dressed outside the, you know, outside of the tent, but away from the weather. Yep. So that was that was huge to have. I don't the the year before, so I came the year before and I had a man, I had a little two-man tent. It was a little A-frame tent on the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that when I when I opened it up, because I'm 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 stupid sometimes. I open it up like two days before I'm supposed to leave, make sure it's good and it works. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome, it's great. And then I'm like, hey, wait a minute, where's a rain fly? There's oh, not a rain yeah. line. And then I'm like, hey, there's nothing to put this on. So I stopped at the Walmart there in Savannah, Georgia. Not Savannah, uh-huh. I'm sorry, Augusta. Augusta, Georgia on the way, bought a couple tarps. I get out there and set it up. And man, I'm I'm six foot five, three hundred pounds in a two-man tent. That is not, that is not a two-man tent. That is that is absolutely a one man tent for me and it yeah. was so freaking tight trying to like lay down and put on clothes and I was like this is this is for the birds and, and fortunately funny. fortunately um the last night that that year Casey Bard from Tacticalities was like dude just just come stay in my camper with me just yeah. give it give it, give this mess up and come stay in the camper and I was like yeah thank bailed
0: you. you out yeah yep. he did that's, he did it. that's too funny yeah I was um I was kind of looking at summer strong this year and there is, I'm not going to say there's not a chance that I'm not just going to randomly show up, but it's not looking too good. Um, but definitely winter strong. I'll be back at that. But, uh, I've got two, two things going on the same weekend. I could go out to Arizona for an overland expo. Um, or I could go to summer strong and I'm kind of torn as to which one to go or do I need just to keep my butt at home and, you know, get caught up? Well, I'll
1: tell you this. As someone who's been to, have you ever been to Summer Strong? No, no. Okay, you, go. Yeah. You need to go. This, especially yeah. this year, man, the speaker list is fantastic. I'm not going to go this year because my daughter's birthday party got scheduled for the 21st. So uh-huh. I, I, I can't miss that. I'm not going to miss that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've, I've been to Summer Strong, I've been to Winter Strong, and, and they are both absolutely phenomenal. The speaker list this year is great, um, and, and you will not regret going to that. And, in fact, I would actually encourage you to take your wife with you. Uh, um, she'll, she'll dig it. It's such, yeah. a, such a cool atmosphere, and it's a great thing to go to. So if you, if you get a chance to go, uh, man, reach out to Bert or something, tell him you want to come and, and, and yeah. do that, because you, you will not regret going to that one bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. I've been looking forward to going and, and I just didn't know how this spring was going to get away from me. And it just seems like I can't catch, catch a breath. You know what I mean? That's that burning the candle at both ends. It starts to catch up to you after a while, but I don't know. There's a chance. There's a chance I might, I might make it out there.
1: Well, if you if you decide to go, you definitely won't regret it. And I mean I feel yeah. like I, pl- I feel like I plug Sornex like all the time on this podcast, but they they're a huge part of why this podcast exists. Because yeah. getting invited to Winter Strong and Summer Strong and things like that and meeting some of the really awesome people like yourself that I've gotten to talk to is a big part of where I've come in my own personal journey and why I wanna to talk to everybody that I'm talking to to share these stories and encourage other people to to embrace discomfort and find a way, find that growth through pain that happens, that only uh-huh. happens that way. Yeah. Um, so, man, I I think you would enjoy it for sure. It's right? crazy,
0: man. I I came back from Winter Strong, and one of my one of my part time camera guys, I called him and I said, "Dude, I just I just found another gear." And he's like, "Do what?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm telling you, I found another gear, brother." And he's like, "No, you you don't need another gear." He's like. <laughs> He's like, have you ever noticed how after we go on a hunt, we come home and you don't hear from me for a few days? I said, yeah, well, I just figured that was, you know, we shared a tent for a week and, you know, just kind of had our personal space for a little while. He's like, no, because I'm in bed for two days already. You don't need another gear. But uh, man, I, I, that group of people, that, uh, that like you said, Bert has put together and the people that he surrounded himself with and so many interesting people that just, they get it, you know what I mean? Yes. They absolutely get it. I've been to so many different trade shows and events where it takes some effort, you know, to really mm-hmm. talk to people and feel like, you know, you're vibing off of people. I had never met any of these people before in my life, except for guys like, logan stark and brandon and burt and kobe and stuff like that and i literally day one i'm like i know everybody here everybody's my best friend <laughs> you know yeah. it's and crazy
1: it, it Bert burt said something the first year i went he's like we don't do name tags here because we don't want you to know who people are go find out just just yeah. go talk to everybody and find out and it's your job to to do that and it's like yeah okay makes sense it yep. does. It makes perfect sense. So I mean, I think they I think they've done an absolutely great job. So Yeah. Um well, man, i gonna...
0: my dream is to have a Sornex rack and set up somewhere Somewhere in my life,
1: I uh, I would imagine that that's very very highly possible going forward. Um, I hope I, so. You know, and it's kind of one of those things. If uh, if you've got the money, they will sell it to you. I yes. can just about guarantee that. <laughs> um, but yeah. dude, no, an apex rack from Sorex would be phenomenal. I think those things are awesome. So,
0: oh yeah, yeah, I'm so envious. Like that the one night whenever we went over there for dinner, um, you know, over at the HQ. I got over there about five or 10 minutes early and, uh, me and Ben from clean eat. So we jumped on a couple of machines and I, I got me a little bicep pump in real quick, you know?
1: Yeah. Because you definitely don't, yes, exactly what you need, Johnny. You need yeah, you right, make, <laughs> make some things swell up and even more. Oh man. Well, brother, I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, man. I think we're, uh, I would love to check back in with you. Um, Heck yeah. do another yeah. episode after, after a few hunts into the whitetail season this year and here, here's some sure. recaps and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. And revisit every every little bit uh and it's ever so often. So
0: yeah, man, that's awesome, I, man.
1: I appreciate you coming on and so if you do me a favor right quick, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow your content, and uh, how they can support you.
0: Yeah, so Instagram, it's uh johnny.utah.hunt. And if you're a Facebook person, there's a Johnny Utah Hunt official page over there. Um and would really appreciate, you know, if you check out the primal divide show. Um, where you can find it on the waypoint tv channel or somebody's trying to come in the room Uh, yes they are the uh the waypoint tv channel um which is um if you have sling tv or pluto or amazon fire chromecast it's on there Uh, but the show is called primal divide and there's you know instagram and facebook pages for those
1: awesome man well i appreciate you brother Thank you very much. Let's do it again. Take care, John.
0: Okay. See you, brother. You've been listening to the Discomfort by Design podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a review. And we'll see you next time.